We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Mekas and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. The Uncontested Podcast presents Under the Bubble, a special podcast series previewing all 22 teams returning to play at Disney World. We're talking to podcasters, writers, and bloggers who cover these teams to get you all caught up before the NBA is back in action on July 31st. Tune in every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts for the latest episode in the series. What is up and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and back with episode two of our Under the Bubble podcast series. If you haven't listened to episode one, I would highly encourage you to go back as we talk to three people who cover Eastern Conference teams on episode one. We're back again, another three Eastern Conference teams for episode two, and incredibly excited about this one. I had the chance to sit down with Ben Mehich to talk about the Washington Wizards. Ben writes for the Step Back and Bullets Forever. Then I sat down with Mike Focci, who covers the Pacers for the Setting the Pace podcast. We had a great discussion about a lot of former Thunder players with the Indiana Pacers. And then lastly, Harrison Grimm and Kevin McCormick co- joined me to talk about the 76ers. They both co-host the Process to Progress podcast that covers all things Philadelphia 76ers. So without further ado... Let's get you guys right into it and my conversation with Ben Mehich.
All right, we're now joined by Ben Mehich to talk all things Washington Wizards basketball. Ben's work has been featured on the Step Back, the Washington City Paper, and SB Nation's Bullets Forever. You can also find him on Twitter at Ben Mehich MBA. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. It's it's weird, you know. It's it's June and we're talking Wizards basketball, so that's. I guess a welcomed endeavor for anybody who hates themselves. So I'm here for it's, it. It's pretty wild. Uh, before we even dive into this, tell me, whenever the NBA was trying to decide all these options on how they would return to play, did you have any belief that the Wizards would end up down in Orlando? Um, you know, once they started floating ideas where most of the or, or some teams wouldn't make it, I didn't really see a possibility of the Wizards making it just because they're obviously at the bottom of the standings. But uh, the team, and we'll talk about this later, but it was fun to watch this year. And I'm excited that they still have you know a handful of games left and potentially beyond. So uh, it was a welcome thing to see. Awesome. Well, so let's jump into the Wizards a little bit. Season recap, they were 24-40 and 40 on the season. That was good for ninth in the East, but a pretty, pretty sizable 5.5 games behind the eighth-placed Orlando Magic. Uh, four and seven since the All-Star break, but those last three, they went two and one. Can you just kind of give us a quick, uh, th- those are obviously just like records and numbers and stuff, but a quick recap of kind of how the Wizards season has gone. Obviously, everybody's familiar with Brad Beal and how phenomenal he's been, but maybe some of the stuff that our listeners aren't super familiar with from the Wizards season. Yeah, so just looking at the record, you mentioned 24 and 40. Um, obviously a lot more losses there than wins. And and, in that regard, the team was kind of uh, who everyone thought they were going to be. Um, They're obviously in a rebuilding uh, stage right now. I think most players in the roster can walk by um, a common NBA fan and and they'd have a hard time recognizing anyone on the roster. And that's basically what everyone expected. But I think if you dig a little deeper and and if you watch them play, there was was a good chunk of the season where they were the first-ranked offense in the NBA uh, I forget who said it, but someone described the Wizards as the best, worst team ever. And I, I think there's there were times during the season where that bizarre statement, you know, it really made sense. You know, the, the again, the roster on paper was among the worst in the league, but then you had guys like Davis Bertans, who, you know, made all the difference this season. He was he was explosive from three, uh, became one of the most unconscious shooters in the league, was atop the league in three-point makes, and he's already on pace to being one of the franchise's best three-point shooters. And, and then, obviously, on the flip side, you know, you ask yourself, there's such a tremendous offensive team. Like you said, Bradley Beal is having an outstanding year. Davis Bertans is having an outstanding year. The young guys are contributing. Why are they so bad? Uh, I mean, they're historically one of the worst defensive teams ever. And that was particularly true when Isaiah Thomas was starting at point guard. That experiment didn't work out. Um, some of that was kind of shored up once he was traded and, and was taken out of the lineup. But you know, the team clearly lacked a defensive anchor. They were uh, incredibly inexperienced. And they were, you know, much more comfortable trading baskets and hoping that they can, you know, just win purely on the offensive end. And obviously, that hasn't resulted in wins. But from a purely, you know, from a watchability standpoint, uh, it was one of the more fun Wizards teams that you know I've had the privilege of covering over the past handful of years. Nice. Now, remind me, wasn't I think the game was against Houston? Yeah. That was like 140 to 150 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, is that right? Yeah, exactly. That that's kind of the Wizards team that you got all year long. And that game, um, you know, if my memory serves me right, was at the beginning of the year. So you know, you had questions of whether that would be sustainable, and it really was. I mean, they were one, among the league's best offensive teams throughout the entire season uh, before that break obviously happened. 
And Davis Bertans really solidifies himself as an elite three-point shooter, and that's something nobody expected. You know, it's pretty crazy to think that the San Antonio Spurs, you know, a team renowned for you know scouting and player development, let a player of his talent slip through the cracks. And again, we can talk ad nauseum about Beal morphing into an elite scorer. He put up more than thirty a game. So, you know, those sorts of games are a commonality for the Wizards this year. And it made them fun to watch, although the wins, you know, were a rarity. Yeah. So talking about how much fun this season has been, even though they didn't win much, can you hit a few highlights from this season? Maybe some big moments or some big things that really happened around Wizards basketball? Again, I mean, just watching Beal propel himself among the league's, uh, you know, great scores this year. I mean, uh, I obviously I'm not sure I'd call myself biased, but I have watched the Wizards more than any other team, and you know there's really not a great gap separating Beal from someone like a James Harden. You know James Harden is clearly the best shooter in the league, but the gap between him and Beal, you know, isn't terrible anymore. I think Beal is clearly the second best shooting guard in the league. Um, you know he went from being a standstill shooter, but now that John Wall has been out, you know it's it's you know by the time John Wall comes back, it will have been two years since he played an NBA game. You know, Beal has taken this time and, and really become you know an all-around elite scorer someone who can take players off the dribble um you know is comfortable with pull-ups in the, in the middle range is uh, an incredible finisher one of the best in the league and obviously an elite three-point shooter so watching him really take that next step has been uh, has been tremendous and come to think of it he's only 26 years old so you know it'll be amazing to watch him continue to grow definitely so not to get us too off track here but i do want to touch on brad beal a bit so you mentioned that since Wall's been out, Brad has really stepped up and become that that lead go-to scorer. Whenever John Wall, and we know he's not coming back during the, the what are they calling them, the seeding games down in Orlando. So next season, when John Wall comes back, do you think there's going to be a bit of a power struggle as far as whose team it is? Is it clearly Brad's team now? Uh, and can those two guys continue to coexist on the basketball court? See, I think this question is, is um, you know, I think it would be an issue if the Wizards were, you know, to put it bluntly, a good team, right? It, it would be a struggle to see, you know, uh, which of these two All-Stars um, can take ownership of the team, for lack of a better word. But uh, John hasn't played in two years. Uh, I think Brad um, is at an offensive level that, as good as Wall was, you know, in 2016-17, was never quite this good. John might have been an all-around better basketball player. Awesome. Um... But... Brad has reached a level that I haven't seen since, uh, since uh, probably Gilbert Arenas. Nice, nice, yeah. So as someone who covers the Wizards, were you surprised that Brad signed the extension, even though it was a small one? And do you think that he will continue to play in Washington? Because obviously we know, you know, it's the NBA. It's the era of Twitter in the NBA. It's always trade rumors and, and whatnot. Do you think Brad's going to play – for uh, multiple years more in Washington, or is there a, a legit concern that he may jump ship and, and go elsewhere? You know, I think whenever you're a losing team and you have a player of Beal's caliber, there should always be a concern. It's a healthy concern to have that that player will eventually you know change his mind and want to leave, and, and that seems to be you know a regular thing that NBA stars do. But I think the Wizards um, can go to sleep, I think, fairly comfortably knowing that Beal wants to be in Washington. He's gone on record. Um, countless times saying he, he enjoys his team in Washington and or his time in Washington and obviously that could change depending on how John Wall looks and if and if he fails to you know recover from this Achilles injury or whatever the case may be you know it, it would be fairly reasonable to assume that Beal 
will no longer want to you know spend these years of his career on the rebuilding team. But I think as of today, um, I think the Wizards can comfortably say that Beal is happy where he is. Awesome, yeah, and you really see how committed he is to the D.C. area with all the stuff that Brad does with the youth. Um, with that, is it a boys charter school that he either funds or something like that? He seems like he's really invested in the community, which is a really encouraging thing to see. Yeah, I think him and John uh, Wall have done a fantastic job really embedding themselves uh, within the community. John Wall just started uh, uh, the 202 Assist, he calls it. It's basically a rent relief program for um, residents of Ward 8, which is an impoverished area of Washington, D.C. So these guys have been doing that since they were rookies, and, and it's uh, you know it's rare to see in the NBA, and, and I think the Wizards are really glad to have those two guys uh, be the cornerstones of, of their franchise for sure. Definitely. It's one thing to have great basketball players, but to have great men kind of as the, the leaders of your team is something special. So let's jump into some basketball that is yet to be played, Ben. Whenever Orlando gets down, not whenever they get, whenever the Wizards get down to Orlando, there we go. They'll have eight regular season games. Now you'll probably be more knowledgeable about who those eight opponents are than I will. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but how do you feel about Washington going into those last eight games? And do you see any chance of them pulling within four to force that play in tournament? Yeah, so I think you mentioned that earlier. They're five and a half games out of the eighth. Basically, um, to get within that range, they need to um, win two more games than the Magic. I think so. If the Magic or the Nets were to go, um, you know, three and five, which is uh, a reasonable record for a team of their uh, of their stature, the Washington would have to win five games. And if you look at their record; they play Boston twice, they play Milwaukee twice. And that's half the schedule, and it's going to be tough that's, to win those games. And that's tough, exactly. And then you have other really good teams in, in the Thunder and the Sixers. You know, the Nets are as a toss up; it's probably a loss too. And then Phoenix might be their only win there. So you know, it's it's definitely a possibility that they win one or two games. It's going to be really difficult to see a way that they um, get within that four game uh, distance between the Magic and the Nets, so they can actually get into the playing tournament. So because of that, and I didn't realize that's a hell of a eight game schedule down there. Because of that, do you think there's a chance that we maybe don't see as much? We maybe don't see as much Brad Beal. We don't see as much Davis Ice kind of getting reps rather than running the vets into the ground. You know, it's been seemingly. You know, it seems like it's been years since they last played, and I'm sure guys like Beal and Bertans are itching to play. But it does seem to make more sense that the younger players would would um, get more playing time, and the Wizards have no shortage of those of those players on their roster. I mean, guys like Troy Brown Jr., Isak Bonga, Jerome Robinson, Garrison Matthews, it would, it would be nice. And I think the Wizards need to weed some of these players out and see how they compare to each other because you can't have a roster of 12, 13, you know, rookie or sophomore players on, on your team. So I think they'll get to a point where, you know, you're going to have to see what these guys are made of and, and who's worth keeping around, to put it bluntly. So I could definitely see situations where Beal and Bertans aren't, um, you know, playing... 35 minutes a game, whereas they could probably play, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game. Okay. Awesome. So staying on that same note there, then who are some players that fans who are not fans of the wizards should keep an eye out for down in Orlando? You mentioned a lot of those young guys. Who do you see has a chance to really step up and make a name for themselves during these eight games? So I think, you know, that's the really interesting um, aspect about this team where, 
they have a lot of players who kind of blend together. You know, between uh, Troy Brown Jr., who's immensely talented, he's six 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 seven, can play the point guard position. But you know, the same is true for someone like Isak Bonga, who um, you know his probably his best attribute as a wing is you know his ability to distribute a ball. So who of those players is going to step up? And then you have the centers, Mo Wagner and Thomas Bryant, who similarly you know they're both offensive oriented uh, big men. Mo Wagner more of a floor spacer, but both um, you know primarily offensive players. Um, one of those two guys has to step up and uh, and solidify their spot as a you know if not the starting center of the future at least the starting center for now. So I think there's going to be a lot of um, inner roster competition. And although the Wizards probably won't make the playoffs this year, it's going to be interesting to see how these players you know um, uh, create a sort of hierarchy for themselves. Beautiful. Um, one rookie that has really played well for the Wizards this season, uh, Rui Hachimura. Can you kind of talk a little bit about him and just what you've seen out of him and what kind of Wizards fans' hopes are that he can become? Yeah, so Rui is a guy um, I admittedly wasn't terribly sold on um, before draft night, but having talked to people within the organization, having covered the team this year, I mean, it's pretty clear why um, he was such a he had such a successful career overseas, uh, definitely as the face of the franchise in Japan. He has a poised game. He's, um, you know, he's incredibly mature for his age. He works harder than just about anybody on the roster. And although he came in, I think, as a 22-year-old rookie, which is not ideal for a player in his first year, um, his game has, 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 he's well ahead of, um, his game is well ahead as where it should be. I think, um, you know, I think he's leading the rookies in, in rebounds per game. He's fifth in, in points, and he has an old-school game. Um, he's he has an efficient mid-range jump shot, which you really don't see. And I think once he adds some depth to his um, shot, once he can knock down the three-point shot with consistency, I think you'll see him probably average upwards of 17, 18 points per game and solidify himself as you know one of the uh, better scoring forwards in the league for sure. Beautiful. So kind of keeping on this theme still of these young guys, is there any player that you think the what's going to end up being a three-month layoff from basketball, that that layoff will benefit versus, you know, I know it's rough for these guys to not be in the gym every day, not be with their trainers, not be with their teammates. But is there any players that you think that this quarantine time and the shutdown time could have been beneficial for? Yeah, so Bradley Beal was uh, fifth in minutes per game. I think he was a minute shy of being first or even less than a minute uh, of being first. You know, He carried, I think, probably the heaviest load in the NBA averaging more than 30 points a game there were nights where he'd score 55 points and then you know a night or two would pass and he'd have to score 40 and those two games would both result in losses so I think he's carried an incredible burden both uh, in terms of playing time but also just what he's had to do for the team offensively Um, I think he'll obviously benefit from that and if he doesn't play much uh, during this coronavirus tournament whatever you want to call it um, I think Thomas Bryant you know he's played banged up this whole year, last year, he showed flashes of really being a franchise cornerstone. He's hyper-efficient offensively, um, really a bucket inside. But he, he dealt with nagging injuries this year, and I think that's kind of hindered his development. And I think uh, you know, having this rest, being able to rehab properly, could benefit him. And I think Washington will be uh, definitely pleasantly surprised with what they see uh, from him in a few weeks. Beautiful. So let me ask you this. If, let's say, Washington, with that high-powered, potent offense, does go on a bit of a run in Orlando and pulls within four games of the eighth seed and forces a play-in tournament. Which matchup do you think is better for Washington to win that eighth seed? Would you rather them be playing the Orlando Magic or the Brooklyn Nets? 
Man, so that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, it's weird. I th- I think I, I was telling someone um, earlier that you know the Wizards winning the championship this year would probably be like the twentieth weirdest thing to happen. This year. <laughs> no so shit, it, right? It's really not um, out of the realm of possibility. But I think probably or um, oh man, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, if Kyrie doesn't play this this uh, tournament, I think you know Brooklyn will probably be uh, talent deprived. Kevin Durant's not coming back anytime soon, so that would be beneficial. Um, they have some issues there guarding their wings. The, Wiz- the Wizards have issues as is guarding anybody for that matter, but I think um, probably Brooklyn just because they're probably be, uh, they might have an edge on them talent-wise, I guess. Very good. I like it. So, Ben, before we let you go, I want to play a quick game here. Since the season is resuming in the most magical place on Earth, Disney World, we're going to play a word association game. I'm going to name a Disney character, and then I want you to give me that player's comp as a Washington wizard. This is an amazing question, and I might need to phone a friend, a.k.a. my girlfriend, because I admittedly haven't watched a ton of Disney movies. So if you throw out a name I don't know, I might have to yell out uh, for a phone a friend, but I'm excited to see what you come up with. Beautiful. All right, let's do it. So who is... Oh, I got a list here. Who is uh let's let's start with the mouse himself. Who's okay. the Mickey Mouse of the Washington Wizards? See when I when I think Mickey Mouse, I think happy go lucky. Um I think Mo Wagner is probably the happiest go luckiest, if that's a thing, guy in the NBA. And I think he definitely fits the mold of a Mickey Mouse. So I'd probably go Mo Wagner for Mickey Mouse and the Wizards. Okay, beautiful. Um Hercules. Oh, that's another easy one. I'm glad you're throwing me bones here <laughs> because if you threw out I don't know, an obscure Disney character, I, I would be screwed. I think Hercules, Admiral Schofield is built like a superhero. Um, I'd probably go him there for sure. Awesome. Uh, I haven't asked anybody this one yet, so this will be a fun one. Scar from Lion King. Uh, this, You know what? Um, this is a tough question because the Wizards are so young and, and seemingly happy and, and uh, full of energy and fun, and Scar seems like the opposite of that. So I might have to throw in... Um, no, I, I wouldn't say anybody on this this year's roster scar, but I, I'll go with in years past. I'll probably go Paul Pierce or Nene because they had that kind of um, savage, evil demeanor to them. Beautiful. Um, let's go with Aladdin. Who is the Aladdin of the Washington Wizards? Ah, oh, that's also a good one. I, I might go Isaac Bonga for this one. I think he came onto the scene out of nowhere. Uh, he's he's more serviceable than I think. Most people thought, and you know, Aladdin kind of gives off an unassuming vibe, but um, he shows up when it counts too. I guess if that makes sense at all. No, I like it. I like it. Last one, we got to do it. Who is the Elsa of the Washington Wizards? Uh, I gotta admit, I've never seen Frozen, so I don't know what she's all about. But oh man, is she flashy? Is that her thing? Like she's. Standoffish, um, standoffish, borderline, like you know the song "Let It Go." Even if you haven't seen Frozen, you've heard "Let It Go," right? I have, yeah. Okay, so like, let it go, like get rid of all your problems. She doesn't want to be around anybody. She feels isolated. She's got a cold heart. You know what? I, I could see John Wall doing that. He he's he's a passionate guy. Uh, he might get called standoffish. He definitely isn't, but I think you know, John might be that. He could beautiful. Be awesome. I'm just I'm now imagining John Wall and like the. The light blue Elsa like <laughs> dress and uh so I'm I'm into it. All right. Well, Ben, man, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with us. We really appreciate you. For our listeners, make sure you go check out all of Ben's work. 
Uh, you can find it at the Step Back. He writes for the Washington City Paper. He's got stuff on SB Nation's Bullets Forever. And go follow him on Twitter as we get back to play. You can find him at Ben Mehich NBA. That's B E N M E H I C N B A. Ben, again, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. I want to take a quick minute to tell you guys about betonline.ag. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out as well. Just visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's all one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now, let's get you over to my talk with Mike Focci about the Indiana Pacers. All right, we are now joined by the host of the Setting the Pace podcast and contributor at PacersTalk.net to talk all things Indiana Pacers basketball with us, Mike Focci. You can find Mike on Twitter at underscore Focci. That's F-A-C-C-I. All of his writing is at PacersTalk.net and then his podcast, Setting the Pace. You can get that anywhere you download your podcast from. Mike, man, thank you so much for jumping on with me today. Happy to be here, Jacob. Anytime I get to to talk Pacer podcast and just just on a Pacer podcast or just anything Pacer related, I am jacked up about it because NBA season's not really around the corner. But hey, we got a date in sight, and for that, I'm excited. Oh, definitely. It's we actually did a, a podcast once the Board of Governors ruling came down and they had officially decided to restart play, and I was so fired up. And then I really sat down and looked at the calendar, and I was like, well. We still got like six and a half weeks to go. But like you said, we've got a date on the calendar. We're ready to go. And Indiana will be one of the 22 teams going down to the most magical place on earth, Disney World, to continue the season. So, Mike, I just wanted to spend the next 20 minutes or so really breaking down how the Pacers season has gone so far, kind of what you expect to see from them whenever we get down to Orlando. Yeah, so... Basically, I mean, when you're talking about this Pacers team, it's it's been like a, a little bit of a roller coaster ride. I mean, this is a team right now that's sitting fifth in the East, you know, 39 and 26, but they're right in the thick of things. They're they're two games behind Miami. You're tied with Philly. Uh, they started 0 and 3. You knew Victor Oladipo was going to miss half the season, so it, it's been like a tale of two different teams, like pre-Victor Oladipo and then with Oladipo. So I feel like right when Oladipo comes back, the team, they look sluggish. It, it was kind of gross. But this team ended pretty strong. 7-3 and three since the All-Star break. They closed out, you know, the regular season. Uh, I believe they, well, when once the, the season went to Holt, uh, they won 8 of 11. So we were excited. They, all Pacer fans were. They were really getting excited for things. And then obviously we have COVID-19. So, you know, we're going to see who's been working and who hasn't. Yeah, definitely. And you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording this. I 
am a big fan of the Pacers this year, primarily because so many players that came through Oklahoma City that I've gotten to watch and and really came to enjoy are now playing for the Pacers. Uh, So I wanted to break down a couple of them real quick. Uh, Let's start with Oladipo, like you mentioned, injured out for most of the season. He's played 13 games so far after really having a hell of a uh, last season before the injury came around. What did you guys see from Vic in those 13 games? And where are your hopes at that whenever we get down to Orlando, he's going to be fully healthy and ready to go? Jacob, I'm going to be honest. It was looking pretty rough. When Oladipo <laughs> came back, he has the magical moment in his his debut, the, the game tying three to force overtime against Chicago in a comeback win. I mean, it was awesome. And then he looked very, very sluggish. I mean, there was multiple performances where he was shooting, you know, under 20 and 30 percent from the field. It was tough. I mean, right after that Chicago win, the Pacers lose five straight games. I think it was actually six straight games. One of those he missed. And people started to say, is he the problem? It got rough because, you know, he's not the problem. The man's trying to shake off a year of rust. And it, it took a while. But when he started to get his legs underneath him, he finished the season very strong. His last game of the year against Boston, he drops 27 points on 56% shooting from the field. So I feel like this is the one guy, and maybe I'm biased, Jacob, but this is the one guy who might have benefited most from this three- to four-month break of COVID because it took him a year for rehab, and now he's got you know three to four extra months on top of that to get in real NBA game shape. You know, you could be in shape. It's a whole different thing in being in game shape. Oh yeah. So I'm really excited to see what Oladipo's been doing because from every conversation I've ever heard about anyone close to Oladipo, this guy is a madman when it comes to working. I mean he puts in the work and we're seeing the benefits. There's a reason why he was most improved player of the year coming over from OKC. And I'm sure, I don't know if it surprised you, but it was one of those where once this guy was big and it was given a bigger role, he took advantage of it. Oh, definitely. And so Vic has been, I, I've always loved Victor Oladipo. I loved him in Orlando. I loved him when he came to Oklahoma City, obviously. And to see him really flourish up in Indiana has been exciting. And so I really hope he comes back really healthy and ready to go because the Pacers seem like a team that can really make some noise. A couple other players I want to talk about as we kind of recap the season here. Domas Sabonis, all-star Domas Sabonis. Uh, will you just kind of touch on what you guys have seen? Because Indiana has got a very different Domas Sabonis than Oklahoma City had. Oklahoma City had space the floor and shoot four threes a game Sabonis, whereas he's taken on a very different role in Indiana. We just kind of talk about what you've seen from Domas uh, and and what you think his ceiling is. Man, I don't want to call him one of the better kept secrets in the league because he made the all-star team. But Jacob, this guy is really good. He's gotten better every single year. The rare situation where a guy got to play professionally and then go to college, went to Gonzaga, then comes to the NBA And every single year, I challenge everybody listening to this episode right now to look up Sabonis' stats and see that he has improved in basically every single category every single year. 
in the NBA. You're talking about a guy who, once the season went on Holt, was, I believe, third in the NBA in double-doubles. I think it was 43 double-doubles. You're talking about a guy averaging 18.5 points, 12.5 rebounds, and then five assists as a big man. I mean, that's that's pretty much Jokic-esque. I'm not going to say he's Jokic because Jokic is, you know, he's he's very, very good. But Sabonis is showing that there there is more and more to come to his game that if you're not watching him right now, you're missing out because he's a very talented player that I don't think we've seen the best of yet. I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he's been working on uh, during this break because at one point Sabonis is putting together triple-doubles left and right. I think he had about five triple-doubles on the season, but once he really started getting going, I mean, those started coming more often. Many games with nine assists, but also one thing that's never going to show up in the, in the box score this man is one of the best screen setters in the NBA, allowing a lot of guys to, to get open looks that are not recorded as assists. So there is a lot of baskets that Sabonis is contributing to, and he's on pace to break the Pacers' single-season rebounding record despite you know a shortened schedule. So, I mean, it's going to be close. Obviously, he's getting robbed of about 10 games. I think the Pacers had 18 games left. But Sabonis, I mean, just having a great year for the Pacers. Awesome. I love to hear it. He's Whenever the Oklahoma City Thunder traded Serge Ibaka on draft night to get Sabonis to the Orlando Magic, they traded Serge to the Orlando Magic, it was mm-hmm. very clear that Victor Oladipo wasn't as much of the target in that trade as Domas Sabonis was, and Sam Presti was very high on him. And we're starting to see why. He's a very, very special big man. Uh, another former Thunder player I wanted to recap real quick. Jeremy Lamb came over to Indiana this year, uh, but unfortunately is out with an injury. Can you kind of describe how Lamb's season was going, uh, the injury and the timeline for that injury? Yeah, so Jeremy Lamb was a that I was very excited about. I think he signed a very modest deal. It was about three years, $30 million. So roughly between 10 to $11 million per year. And basically coming off of a career year with Charlotte. So I felt like short-term, you had Lamb being your starting two-guard while Oladipo's out. And then I felt like he was going to move to you know be the premier six-man where I felt like if he had been a six-man all year, I felt like he could have been in the running for a six-man of the year. Of course, you have you know your Lou Williams. I mean, he's, he's the man when it comes to that. But Jeremy Lamb, I felt like, was someone I had very big expectations for. Um, you know, once Oladipo came back, obviously he was delegated to the bench. And Lamb, you know, showed a bunch of bright spots here and there. Just an absolute shame that he tore his ACL in February because I felt like it made the Pacers that much deeper. Earlier in the season, I mean, through about month and a half, you know, you're talking about a guy who was putting up 17 points per game, which would have been career high for him. So... Lamb, it's going to hurt because he's going to, he tore his ACL at such a rough time in the season where I thought, you know, there's a chance that maybe he didn't even play next season. But given the three to four month absence of the NBA, I think it actually worked in his favor where maybe he could be back right around All-Star break, what would have been typically All-Star break next year. Right about, you know, February of 2021 will be a full year for Lamb. I already saw some videos that he's been putting in work. So unbelievable to see, and I really wish him the best because just just a great guy and someone who has you know continued to grow over the last few years, especially since his time in OKC. Awesome, yeah. There, I mean, the Thunder I think traded Lamb for a conditional second round pick to Charlotte 
uh, whenever they had finally decided to pull the trigger on that. And so it's been awesome to see Lamb really start to flourish and come into his own. Uh, I want to move on to talk about some season highlights for the Pacers so far. And I feel like we've already touched on a few of them. Obviously, Domas to the All-Star game. Uh, Jeremy Lamb kind of breaking out. The return of Victor Oladipo. Uh, any other major highlights from the season that we should know about before we get back to play? Well, first, I just want to give a shout-out to one other former Thunder, McBuckets himself. Oh, Doug there you McDermott. go. Yeah, we got four former Thunder players on this roster McDermott quietly having a career year. Career high in scoring, 10.4 points per game, shooting 49% from the field, 44.5% from three. This guy, he just needs more attempts because he's lights out from three. One of the one of the premier catch-and-shoot guys in this league. I mean, he barely dribbles because he doesn't need to dribble. Just get the man the ball. Pacers, they, they don't take too many threes, unfortunately. Uh, but McDermott quietly having a very good year. Um, when you're talking about the highlights of this Pacers team, I mean, one of the games that sticks out, and the Pacers beat the Lakers to end their 13-game road winning streak, basically a Brogdon game winner. I mean, it was a it was a big win for the Pacers at the time. They put together wins against Boston, uh, two wins over Philly. You know, you beat Toronto, the Nuggets, the Mavs. So they've had some big wins. But I'd say, like, if you're gonna poll Pacer fans, what moment sticks out? I feel like the Oladipo game-tying deep three-pointer against the Bulls in his debut, it had all Pacer fans just, like, celebrating because, I mean, there was the tears coming down from Oladipo after the game saying the Mamba mentality. I mean, it was just after the unfortunate passing of Kobe, just like an emotional time where it showed all the work that he put in to come back to get to that point. Uh, So that was definitely one of the highlights in my mind. And other than that, I would just say this is a team that you put together so many new faces. There was a huge turnover from this team. I mean, you brought in guys like TJ Warren this year. You know, you brought in Malcolm Brogdon, you know, Sabonis into the starting lineup. Uh, You added Jeremy Lamb. There there were so many moving parts. And just to see those guys kind of all really develop well and play team basketball was just a great sight to see. Beautiful. All right, well, let's shift from what has happened to what may happen down in Orlando. So eight games per team. Uh, I want to talk real quick, and and you'll probably have more information on this than I will. The Pacers' eight-game regular season schedule, or what they're calling the seeding games down in Orlando, what does that look like for the Pacers, and how do you feel like they're going to end the season as far as the seeding is concerned? You mentioned tied with Philly for sixth, only two games behind Miami for fourth. Uh, What... What are you seeing and what do you expect from the team once they get down to Orlando and start playing those eight games? Yeah, so those eight games consist of Miami, Phoenix, Orlando, Sacramento, the 76ers, Clippers, Lakers, and Rockets. That's a pretty nice schedule. Yeah, yeah, not bad. I think off the bat, even if the Pacers are sluggish, I feel like they can easily go four and four being sluggish. Now that four and four, that's not what you want. It's not going to do it because you're two games behind Miami. So that game is very, very key because that could be the matchup in a four versus five. I mean, I, I get it. There's not going to be home court anymore. I have no idea how the NBA is going to settle that. But that Miami series, I'm telling you, if you remember, things got very chippy between Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren. And I think it could be one of the most entertaining series out there. You're also going to have in the first round. 
Um, then you're also going to have the game against the Sixers. That's going to be the tiebreaker right there. The Pacers are up two to one in the series. You win that. That's that's three to one. You win the regular season series. So that's a very pivotal game. Lakers, you beat the Lakers before, but then you also got like the Clippers, the Rockets. I mean, there's it's going to be tough. Four and four feels like a, a worst case scenario. But if the Pacers want to make some noise and make a run, or at least lock down the fifth seed, I think you gotta go maybe maybe six and two at least. Five and three. I'm not worried about teams like Phoenix, Orlando, Sacramento, you know, but 76ers, they do scare me a little bit because I feel like we haven't seen the best of the 76ers yet. Yeah, the 76ers were actually my preseason pick to win the title. So uh, I've looked like an idiot all season long. So part of me kind of hopes Philly comes out. Yeah. And, and, and comes out and makes a little bit of noise. So what team, or it's not teams, what players should we be on the lookout for? For Indiana, obviously we know, you know, obviously hoping Vic comes back and is back to his old self. Uh, we've talked a lot about Domas. Uh, Lamb's going to be out, but who are some maybe under the radar guys that we should be on the lookout coming down to Orlando to maybe make some noise whenever they start playing again? Malcolm Brogdon through the first twenty or so games, maybe even up to about thirty games, Malcolm Brogdon was looking like an All Star, and he was starting to get the credit. He had about. Five different injuries all throughout this year that started to really linger and just really brought down his production. And when the season came to a halt, Brogdon was actually scheduled to have been, you know, he was going to miss about two to three weeks. He's healthy. I think he's another guy that has really benefited from this layoff because you're talking about hamstring injuries that then became in, into back injuries. And then he had, I mean, I think he had one or two concussions on the year, uh, dislocated fingers, all these little things that I feel like Brogdon and Oladipo is the backcourt that Pacer fans were drooling over in the offseason, waiting to see. And they've only gotten to play a handful of games this year together. That is two of the better defensive guards in this league. And I think that, that could make a lot of matchup problems for a lot of other teams. I'm very excited to see what they have together. And one guy who I hope seizes the opportunity, and I'm a big fan of, is Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday stepping into that six-man role without Jeremy Lamb. And I think that he's someone who has made – he's really made the most out of his minutes. And you, you just got to hope that he's been working because I feel like he is ready to try and you know embrace that six-man role and take over when he plays, you know, over 30, 30 minutes or more, the Pacers are a significantly better team. I believe at one point the record was 12 and three when he played over 30 minutes. I mean, you're talking about a guy who really makes the Pacers that much deeper to really put it into more perspective. The Pacers had seven players averaging over 10 points per game. And then Aaron holiday was at 9.4. I mean, it's hard to come across that much depth, nearly eight, players on the team averaging in double figures. I mean, that's a guy who I think you need to be looking out for because you already know Sabonis is going to bring it. If you haven't watched TJ Warren, he's quietly been an assassin. TJ Warren was the player who was labeled a scorer on a really bad team and that he didn't play defense. And a lot of us couldn't have been more wrong because that guy is playing defense this year. He's having a career year, which you will never, ever, ever see on ESPN. Uh, that man is averaging career high in points. He's shooting about 53 to 54% from the field. 
and he's doing it old school. He loves the mid-range jumper, just a guy who is a walking bucket, and I think that fans will enjoy seeing him play. Beautiful. So you started to talk a little bit about matchups here, and I want to get into that. If standings stay the same, then the Indiana Pacers, as you mentioned, will be be playing the Miami Heat in the first round. Uh, I think the only really other alternative that, that looks plausible would be that the Indiana Pacers slide to six and they would play the Boston Celtics at three. My assumption is that the pref- the preferred opponent would be Miami. Would you say that's accurate or do you like Indiana's chances against Boston? I want Miami. I think that it got real testy. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be biased here. I think it would be one of the most entertaining first round matchups. I think that that series goes seven games and I think a big thing to benefit the the Pacers is Miami is one of the best home teams in the league. Make no mistake about it. But they are not a good road team at all. Just to throw a little bit of numbers at you. The Miami Heat are 27-5 and five at home. But they're 14-19 and 19 on the road. I get it. Orlando's still in Florida. But it's not home. And there's not a home crowd there. The Pacers, 21-11 and 11 at home. Still 18-15 and 15 on the road, a winning record on the road. I think Miami is a team that got off to a scorching hot start to the season. I think they've slowed down. When you, when you want to look at playoff experience, Miami's got a lot of young guys. They're Kendrick Nunns, the Duncan Robinsons, the Tyler Heroes. They've never logged a playoff minute in their career. And Bam Adebayo, while he's having a great year, was just a rookie the last time Miami made the playoffs and he played minimal minutes in that first-round matchup. So I think that the Miami Heat, outside of Jimmy Butler, you know, maybe you got some Goran Dragic in there, of course. Uh, and then Andre Iguodala, of course, but didn't look the same. They're a team that a lot of their younger guys that are producing a lot are not battle-tested. And I look forward to that matchup. I think that the Pacers and the Heat match up pretty well. I think Boston... They got a lot of talent, a lot of talent. I think Tatum and Jalen Brown could be two of the guys that come out of this this quarantine maybe even better than they were before. Uh, Jason Tatum was heating up when the season came to a halt, and I want no part of that in the first round. I know it's a little bit of difference, but Celtics swept the Pacers last year. It's a different Pacers team. I, I still I don't want Boston in the first round. Give me Miami. Sounds good. So would you take Indiana in that series? Do you think they move on to the second round? I'm going to lean towards Miami. Uh, obviously, I could be a bit biased. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to lean towards the Pacers in that series against Miami. Could be a little bit biased. But the one thing I will say, regardless, I think it goes seven. I think that when you look at a couple other matchups, if all the teams play like they were before, I don't know how many first-round matchups we see go seven games. I think that that Pacers-Heat game uh, series is going to be very testy, very competitive, and I do think it goes seven games in favor of the Pacers. The Pacers have been out in the first round the last four years. I think some of these guys are very, very hungry to get out of the first round. And I think that this Pacers team is the one team that benefits the most out of this break. Because like I mentioned, the injuries to Oladipo and Brogdon, you're finally getting the backcourt that you envisioned all season long. Beautiful. All right. Well, Mike, before I let you go, let's play a quick game. Since the season is resuming in Disney World, I have a list of Disney characters here. I'm going to throw a name out, and we'll play Word Association. You tell me which Pacers player matches that Disney character. 
Let's all right, bring it on. Let's start with Donald Duck. Donald Duck. All right. Um, give me a little bit of Malcolm Brogdon over here. You know, not quite the star, but uh, I'd say a key character for sure. A little bit of a bigger guard. You know, I know Donald Duck seems like a little bit bigger of a Disney character. So I, I, I'm going Brogdon here. I love it. I love it. What about Hercules? Hercules. Okay, this is going to be a little tough. I don't know if the Pacers really have a Hercules, <laughs> but I guess our biggest guy, Goga Bataze, I, I think he's he's got some some size to him. Definitely weighs the most on the team, about 6'11". Uh, I don't think he's quite a Hercules, but maybe could be a Hercules in training. All right. What about Aladdin? Oh my God, Aladdin. That is that is very tough. I mean, if we're gonna off the bat, Aladdin being the star, I think we're gonna have to go Victor Oladipo. Then I think he would be our Aladdin. I think he's maybe I don't I don't ever want to say come from nothing, but maybe came from a little bit of a lesser role to to rise to being the star. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, last one. This is gonna be a fun one. Who is the Elsa from Frozen? of the Indiana Pacers. Oh my God. Uh, if we're going to go with an Elsa, then I'm going to have to go TJ leaf because I feel like he's got to be the princess of this team. <laughs> I love it. It's just time to let it go. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It always feels like he's got maybe a, a broken fingernail or something. So he might miss the game. You know, I'm ready to cut the ties with him. Beautiful. Love it. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us, man. For our listeners, you can check out all of Mike's work. He writes over at PacersTalk.net. You can also hear his podcast, Setting the Pace, anywhere you download your podcast from. Also, check him out on Twitter. He is at underscore Focci. That's F-A-C-C-I. Again, Mike, thank you so much for the time, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Jacob. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm ready for this NBA season. I know you guys are too, so bring it on. Just real quick, shout out to Mike again for joining me. I loved my conversation over Indiana Pacers basketball with him. So now let's get you to the last interview of the day where I'm joined by Harrison Grimm and Kevin McCormick who covered the 76ers on the Process to Progress podcast. Hope you enjoy. All right, we're now joined by Harrison Grimm and Kevin McCormick to talk all things Philadelphia 76ers. Harrison contributes to Liberty Ballers, while Kevin writes at 973 ESPN. And both of these guys co-host the Process to Progress podcast for the Liberty Line. You can find Harrison on Twitter. He's at Harrison underscore Grimm. And Kevin is on Twitter at Kevin McSee973. Guys, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join me to talk about some Philadelphia 76ers basketball. No problem, man. Thanks for for having us on. on. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. So let's uh, let's start by looking at kind of where Philly has been. So at the time of the hiatus, 39 and 26, which had them tied for like the fifth, sixth spot in the East with Indiana, uh, five and five since the All Star break, two and one in their final three games. Though, can you guys just kind of explain? Because I know a lot of people. Probably you guys as well were really sure as hell me were really high on Philly coming into the season. Uh, sixth or fifth seemed really low, but there was a lot of maybe some chemistry issues, some injury issues, um, some fit issues. So can you guys just kind of break down kind of a recap of what Philly's season has looked like up to this point? 
Uh, I guess I'll touch on this first. Um, So, when it comes to the Sixers season, they actually really started off on a hot streak. I believe they won their first five, if I'm not mistaken, uh, before they went on a losing streak. And ever since that losing streak, it's really been an up-and-down season. They performed well um, against some of the greater teams in the league. But at the same time, they play down to their competition. And they've had a lot of games where they've lost, especially on the road, as you can see by their road record. Uh, that were easily winnable and it's kind of been very frustrating um, as a Philadelphia fan uh, seeing this team with so much potential you have a lot of young talent not just in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid but you go down the the roster Shake Milton, Matisse Thibel um, those are two young players of many that that can really play on this team and it's really just been a roller coaster of a season in my eyes. Yeah, I would say Jekyll and Hyde is about the best comparison you can give it in terms of how they played, whether you want to say home or road or even just the opponent. Like Harry touched on, we saw the Sixers at their peak, you know, beat teams like the Bucks and the Lakers in prime time, but also have very, very ugly losses to teams like the Cavaliers and the Magic. But all in all, I mean, it wasn't a terrible season. Obviously, they're still one of the top teams in the East. And even from the beginning, the objective was more just getting to the playoffs, not really trying to dominate the conference. Very good. So can you guys kind of touch on some of the, the highlights? We, we'll, we'll have a spot for lowlights here in a second. But some of the highlights from this Philly season, you just mentioned, you know, beating teams like the Bucks and the Lakers. Obviously, those are big ones. But what are some of the, the big highlights, some of the, the players that really stood out and, and stepped their game up uh, that fans should reorient themselves with? So if you're going to talk about uh, players that really shined, you have to talk about Shake Milton, who is someone that's really come on uh, later in the season with a lot of injuries and taken advantage of his opportunities. Uh, He's always been a a guy that can just put the ball through the hoop. Uh, I've seen him play many times with the Delaware Bluecoats, and he's doing exactly what he did there at an NBA level. Uh, One of the season high moments and what I call the best loss of the season uh, was a road game against the Clippers where he dropped 39 points on very efficient uh, shooting. Um, and he's been the big bright spot in an otherwise kind of bipolar season in a sense where this team cannot just get it together. Uh, Matisse Thibel's another young guy that's come in and has really just been a great defender. His offense has been streaky, which is to be expected. Um, but, but those are two guys in my mind that has really stood out. Yeah, I would say in terms of bright spot, uh, the bench in general is just that bright spot. Like Harry touched on guys like Shake and Matisse, who Shake finally got his chance to run and shows what he can do, and Matisse came as projected as an elite defender on day one. But also a guy like Ferkin Korkmaz, who also took a big step this year with a bigger role. I mean, his tenure with the Sixers has been a little shaky in terms of, you know, getting the chance to run, and, you know, he wanted to trade, and... He finally got his chance to be an everyday rotation player this year and really shined in it. He got to start a couple games this year, had back-to-back 30-point games off the bench, and I believe as the time when the season was suspended, he was the Sixers' leader in three-pointers made. Awesome. So, And you guys have talked about some of the young guys here, and I want to touch on them a little bit, Um, specifically Matisse Thibel, who – I think there was a lot of skepticism whenever he got drafted that, you know, he's a defensive guy who's a little rangy, but he played zone in college. Uh, 
does he have any offensive game that's going to transfer to the NBA? Is he going to be a decent shooter or is he going to be like a really a, a guy that struggles um, as a thunder guy who covers the thunder? Uh, I looked a lot into Matisse during the pre-draft process, and I saw a lot of Andre Robertson in him. Obviously, Matisse has a much more refined offensive game than Robertson, though. Can you guys just touch a little bit more on Matisse's uh, his his contribution to Philly so far, and what you guys see from him moving forward? Yeah, when it comes to Matisse, uh, he's he's someone that a lot of Sixers fans compare to a former Sixer, uh, Robert Covington, in a sense that. Really, the only offense that you're going to be getting out of him is on catch and shoots or just layups to the rim. Um, he's not going to be someone that's putting the ball on the floor or creating his own shot. That's that's just not within his wheelhouse. Um, he's always going to be an offensively uh, limited player. I, I don't see him ever developing a dribble drive game or, or a playmaking game. I think he's just going to be a really good role player in this league, just the 3 and D guy. And his shot um, is very streaky. He had an insanely hot streak where I think at one point he was shooting something like 45% from three. uh, And he cooled down from that. Now he's shooting uh, somewhere in the mid-30s, which is about league average. Um, And really, that's what you're just going to get on Matisse Thibault. The defense is always going to be there, but uh, his offense is going to be kind of streaky. 100% agree. For a rookie, when he came in, even right in the summer league, you could see it. For a 22-year-old, Matisse Thibel has the defensive instincts of a guy that's been in the league five, six years. I mean, he's just so smart and aggressive on that end of the ball. And the offensive game was streaky, but it shows a lot of potential to come around. I mean, even if he's just a good spot-up guy and maybe like a guy that cuts baseline, he showed this year he actually has some sneaky bounce. We actually got to see a lot of big athletic dunks from Matisse Thibel this year, which was great to see. But in terms of putting it together, 3 and D is, I guess, would be his ceiling. But the potential to get there is great. Nice. I like that. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the rest of the roster. Obviously, some turnover in Philly this past year with Jimmy Butler leaving. A lot of people saw him, especially in the playoffs, as kind of the alpha dog of this team, the guy that the offense ran through. Now you've got Josh Richardson, um, you know, obviously Ben Simmons stepping up, playing even more of a role as he matures and gets older. Uh, We all know Joel Embiid. And then the other big one is Al Horford. And, you know, having – it's pretty easy to say Philly has the biggest – lineup in the league whenever you have Ben Simmons at the one you're starting Al and Joel Embiid can you guys just kind of talk about the the meshing of those players and their styles of play and do you think it really played out how the Philadelphia front office expected it to I I totally agree with what you said about uh, the Sixers being the biggest lineup I mean when you look at the starting five Josh Richardson is the shortest guy in the starting five and he's six seven uh, which is pretty remarkable uh, when it when it comes to the uh, the starting five meshing together, that's the main reason the Sixers have been so inconsistent, and they're a team that really lives and dies by the three, uh, due to Ben Simmons not shooting and Joel Embiid not being a great shooter. Um, we we've seen Tobias Harris kind of take a dip in his three point shooting, which is unfortunate because in that starting five, he's supposed to be the biggest floor spacer. Uh, Josh Richardson has also taken a step back in his three-pointer. He's been really good from mid-range, but like I've said, you really need floor spacing with that team, so it hurts. And now Horford is a guy that has always been able to hit a three, especially uh, later in his career. But being a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter isn't what Al's best at. 
and that's why running him at the four with Joel Embiid just has been very clunky um, at best. Yeah, in terms of roster makeup as a whole, this group is really good, but in terms of them as a starting five, not so great. I think the the additions of Josh Richardson and Al Horford were good in a sense of locker room chemistry and finding guys who will come in and understand that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are the leaders of this team and they are willing to fall in line with that. And Al Horford could be a really good addition and still has a lot to bring off the court-wise in terms of Joel Embiid's development, but his fit next to him just isn't there. And having to slide a guy like Tobias Harris to the small forward where he would clearly thrive a lot better as a power forward is just, like Harry said, the fit is just clunky and they could maximize their talent with a quick shift of how the starting lineups laid out. So I don't want to get too off the rails here, kind of summarizing where Philly has been this season, but you guys, one word that kind of continually came up there is, is, fit and clunkiness well Al Horford has a four-year deal right I mean Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are are locked up for a long time uh just signed is Tobias did he sign a five-year max is that right yes yep so a lot of these players unless you go out and kind of make a blockbuster trade they're kind of locked into where they are do you think that is on the horizon for Philly are they going to try to ship off an Al Horford are they going to try to make a deal uh, to get rid of a Tobias Harris or something else? Or is, is for better or worse, this is it for the next two, three, four years? Uh, ultimately, trades are really hard to make in the NBA. You know, you see you see a lot of people make trades on like NBA 2K, Blockbuster deals. And the reality is it's, it's very hard to make a big deal in the NBA, especially when you're talking about these massive contracts with Al Horford and Tobias Harris specifically. Uh, when it comes to shipping someone off, I, I don't think you're going to see Tobias Harris go anywhere. I think the Sixers view him as a, as a good third option, and he really is a good third option. He's a 20-point-per-game guy. He shot above 50%. Um, I, don't, I don't think the issue lies within him. Uh, I think more specifically, they're going to try and move Al Horford, which is easier said than done, just because of how big his contract is and how many years are on it and how old he is. Uh, the question is, what, what team is really going to want him? And how much is it going to take for the Sixers to throw in to get off that contract? I think realistically, if they can't get out out of Al Horford's deal, they might look at someone like Josh Richardson, who's a very good player on a very good deal for one more year. He has a player option that is we're pretty sure he's going to turn down, um, injury barring. Uh, so maybe you might see something. I, a trade that I've always seen come up has been Josh Richardson for Spencer Dinwiddie. In that trade, the Nets get a good defensive player that plays within his role to put next to Katie and Kyrie. And in return, the Sixers get a playmaker and a better shooter in Spencer Dinwiddie. And we've seen throughout the season that uh, playmakers thrive next to Ben Simmons. Yeah, I think this situation's very tricky in the sense of what to do now. I guess is still up in the air, but will be much clearer in a couple months because the whole thing of, you know, this fit of this lineup was we want to be the Giannis stopper. We're built for the playoffs. We're not a regular season team. So now that we will get to see that, I think it will dictate where to go moving forward. Best case scenario, you most likely do move Al Horford. If somebody was to go, it's going to be him, but you also could look at it in terms of, all of these guys being locked up for multiple years being a good thing because 
all through Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons' tenure together, the roster turnover has just been a complete like refreshing every five to six months, which isn't something you want when you're trying to build a culture around two young cornerstones. So they could just look at it as, hey, like we're here. We're going to give this a run. This is our core. Like We're going to give you guys consistency, and they're actually going to give this team time to build and work out the kinks and actually make their way from middle of the pack team right now standing-wise to you know, everyone coming together, learning their roles, falling in, building a culture, and chasing one or more championships. Nice. And you just mentioned the, the constant roster turnover. Correct me if I'm wrong. But wasn't Joel Embiid, Jalil Okafor, and Nerlens Noel all on the roster together at one point? Yes, I believe yes. Joel was still injured at the time. But, yes, there was a, a good amount of time where all three centers were on the roster together. That's wild. That is <laughs> Including wild. Including Rashawn Holmes, too. Oh, wow. Just throw out all the centers. That's uh, a... <laughs> That's it's almost Knicks esque with the power forwards, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's wild. Um, okay, last one before we get on to some kind of thoughts and predictions on what the team will look like in Orlando. And this one, I have no clue. I just want to get your guys' opinion on it because I feel like this has always been like if you need content, you need to have a discussion point about Philly, you could always go back to this. Is Ben Simmons at his best? at the point guard spot or would Philly be better to get a more traditional style point guard and move Ben to one of the forwards? You know, it's really tough to say because the sample size in which we've seen Ben Simmons play off the ball is really somewhat small, which is kind of surprising because in the games that we've seen him with Howell Neto or Trey Burke at a certain point, um, he's really thrived. And in my eyes, I think it's something that they should explore more. I, I think that you should find a guy, and maybe Shake Milton can step up into this role that can pass the ball a little bit, but can also play off the ball. Um, and you just got to develop a chemistry between each other. Uh, I said uh, about a year ago now that the Sixers should really look at someone like Malcolm Brogdon, who I think would be a phenomenal fit next to Ben Simmons. Obviously, the Sixers went with a different route in Al Horford, uh, but I think it's something that they should definitely explore more. It is an interesting idea of the thought of moving Ben Simmons off the ball, but in terms of just the way he plays in his play style, he's not really an aggressor in the sense of him wanting to build up his own points. His main focus is setting teammates up and trying to make the people around him better. So I think keeping him at the point guard spot could benefit him, but it's more of what kind of guys do you put around him? If you surround him with a couple 3 and D wings and allow him to just run the floor and dish the shooters, I think he could be maximized more as a point guard, where if you were trying to go more traditional, I guess you could try and slide him to the power forward and try and turn him into a Draymond Green-esque. But in terms of his potential and his play style, I think keeping him at the point guard is what they should do. But, I mean, you could pair him with a spot-up shooting guard and I guess slightly move him off the ball but in terms of him dominating the ball and letting him play make and show off the gift of passer that he is is what they should do with Ben Simmons continually moving forward nice yeah I've always kind of felt like if you just throw four shooters around that guy and let him handle the ball that's a scary thought right and you but you guys have mentioned it all the starting lineup for Philly this year hasn't shot the ball particularly well which really is counterproductive to to Ben's kind of style of play so, um, all right, let's move on down to the team is heading to Orlando. Um, how do you guys, and you guys will have a better idea of this than I will, eight 
regular season, what we're calling seeding games, which is just going to follow the their schedule they were supposed to play anyway. So I don't know what those eight teams are, who their eight games will be against. You guys may know that. Um, but how are you feeling about that eight-game stretch? And do you see a chance for Philly to climb? Uh, I know there's probably not a great chance for them to slide back. I, I don't think there's any chance for them to sliding back to seven. Uh, but do you see them climbing up to claim sole position of that fifth seed, maybe even jumping Miami for that four seed? Yeah, um, when it comes to, to rounding out this season, um, it, it's it's tough to say. Realistically, they can sneak up into the four or five spot. Um but ultimately, I'm not. I'm not quite sure if they are. And this this is such a weird season, and I can't express it enough. Where playoff seeding really doesn't matter that much because you're just playing on neutral ground. So being the four or five seed really isn't that big of a deal anymore. Uh, it, it's more so looking on who you're going to match up with in the first two rounds. Because if the Sixers are the sixth seed, I believe they would match up with the Bucks in the second round. Uh, compared to that's assuming they win their first round series of course but compared to matching up with i believe the celtics are the two seed or i'm sorry it's the raptors so they would match up against the raptors so it's tough to say i think they might sneak up to the five spot but realistically i i don't think they're gonna go uh anywhere above top three i I think it's either gonna be four or five at best yeah, best best case scenario, the four seed is where they could end up, which, I mean, could also be a good thing. The NBA hasn't announced it yet, but who knows what things could be added to create a sort of home court advantage moving forward. But, I mean, it's definitely possible. Before the season ended, the Sixers had one of the top two easiest schedules remaining down the stretch, and they still could be looked at as having that here. They have a lot of easy games. I know they have... Uh, teams like the Wizards twice they play Phoenix where they a lot of winnable games so I mean the Sixers could come out and win six seven of these games and really try and climb up a couple spots and just build it won't help matchup wise in terms of you know like Harry said how you're trying to pave your playoff road but in sense of like building momentum and getting hot so that when the playoffs do come you're ready and you're feeling good about yourself the Sixers really could do that in these last seeding games Awesome. So, really, the the most realistic first round opponents for Philly, depending on where they fall in the seating, will be either the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, or the Indiana Pacers. Of those three teams, which one do you guys feel most comfortable about Philly beating in a first round series? Or I guess maybe even if you had to rank those three and like most comfortable to like most worried that they would lose the series, how would you rank uh, Boston, Miami, and Indiana? So, and, and I'll start off. I'll go through uh, each of those teams real quick here. When it when it comes to Miami, the Sixers destroyed them in their first matchup at home, and then I believe they lost their last three against them, and. I don't know what it is with that team. Uh, Miami's just a very deep team. Um, and the Sixers just don't match up well against them. They haven't played them well on the road at all. Uh, so I'm not quite sure where my confidence lies in that. Uh, you look at a team like Indiana, um, and they're arguably the best team in the NBA in terms of matching up with the Sixers because they're basically running two centers, which is what the Sixers do. And maybe the only other team in the league that does that is the Lakers with Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee. But 
Indiana's a great team, and they, they have a ton of gr- good players, and Indiana can play, uh, especially if you got Oladipo back healthy now. Uh, Malcolm Brockton's having a career year. It, it's tough to say. Uh, I think realistically, I think Indiana's in the middle for me, and I would feel most confident in them matching up against the Boston Celtics, which is weird to say just because they've struggled so much with them in the past. But this year they beat them uh, 3-1 in their um, – season series against them and that's with Al Horford starting all those games so it's hard to say all those teams are really good but if if I had to pick one that the Sixers have a good chance at beating I would probably pick the Celtics yeah my outlook's a little different I think if I had to rank them in terms of who I wanted to see to who I least want to see Miami would be first for me Boston would be second and then Indiana would be third just because Regular season games and playoff games are very different. And if you look at that Miami team, a lot of it was based off a lot of young guys who don't have a lot of experience. I mean, there was a point where Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Harrow were two of the leading scorers on Miami. And, I mean, come the bright lights of the playoffs, like a lot of, you know, they say experience wins in the playoffs. And Miami doesn't have a lot of that. Yeah, they went and picked up guys like Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala who are, you know, seasoned veterans and have experience. But... In terms of the whole makeup and what was the backbone of that Miami Heat, I don't think it's built for a playoff run. I just think they were a very good regular season team. And, you know, I in 2020, I don't think Jimmy Butler is the top guy on a championship team. So in terms of a very winnable series, Miami is that team for me. And then Boston's my second choice just for a lot of the reasons that Harry mentioned that for the first time in a while, the Sixers had the Celtics number all year this year. I mean, they don't really have the size to match up with a guy like Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons is a, an elite defender in the league and shows that he could shut down anybody. So, I mean, slowing down Jason Tatum doesn't really worry me. And, I mean, Indiana is my least favorite just because of the size and the depth. And, you know, they gave the Sixers fits this year all during the regular season. They have a guy like Sabonis who's big and can bang with Joel down low. And they have sneaky role players like guys like Jeremy Lamb and TJ Warren who absolutely torched the Sixers all regular season. Awesome. So, guys, before I get you out of here, uh, a couple more questions. First one, how far do you see Philly making it in the playoffs this season? I don't remember if I've mentioned it while we've been recording, but I told you guys Philly was my preseason pick to win the title. Uh, I, I'm sticking with it because that's what I said. I'm not gonna go back on my word, but holy shit, it makes me nervous now. Um, how far do you think Philly can get in the playoffs down in Orlando? Are they uh, second round exit? Do they make it to the conference finals? Do they make it to the NBA finals? It, it's really hard to say because we've seen two Sixers teams uh, when they're fully healthy. We've seen the Sixers at home. And we've seen the Sixers on the road. And at home, they were completely dominant. They've only lost two games at home. And on the road, I believe they didn't even win 10 games uh, before the season got suspended. So it's really hard to say. And now you're playing in a neutral um, a neutral arena. So it's either going to really help them, the fact that they're not playing on the road, or it's going to really hurt them, the fact that they're not playing um, at home. And it, it's really tough to say. I, th- I think it really depends on who they match up with first. I think if they do stay as a sixth seed, which really isn't the end of the world, um, they, they have a chance in which they could beat Boston. And then I think they get to test their lineup in which they've built to specifically beat the Bucks in the second round. Um, Milwaukee's a great team. Their record shows that. 
and it, it's really tough to tell. Um, realistically, I think that this won't be their year. I don't think they're going to win it all. I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that. Uh, I, I think their ceiling might be the conference finals. Uh, I think the Sixers have a real chance to Cinderella story to at least the conference finals. I mean, to fully count them out, I think, is a little crazy just because we've seen how the Sixers match up against top teams in the NBA. I mean, their main issue was showing up on the days where they were playing the teams that weren't competing for anything this year, but... When the lights were bright, like on Christmas against the Bucks or Saturday night primetime against the Lakers, the Sixers showed up and they didn't just show up. They showed up and they dominated. They showed that they can be a top team in this league and that they can beat just about anybody. So, I mean, to say they're fully counted out, I think, is far from it. And, I mean, in terms of teams that are hungry and have something to prove, I think the Sixers are at the top of that list. We started off talking about how, you know, they were being in the sixth seed and this regular season didn't go the way that anybody expected. So now they have something to prove. There's a chip on their shoulder. Everyone's been counting them out all year. So I think they're going to come back. They're hungry. Joel Embiid said he's been in the gym six days a week for the last month. Ben Simmons is getting himself back to health. I think to count these guys out is very not true. I mean, to have guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, you that's good enough to get you anywhere. Awesome. So, guys, before I let you go, I want to play a quick word association game. Since we are picking up this season in the most magical place on Earth, Disney World, uh, I'm going to give you guys a Disney character, and then I want you to give me the Philadelphia 76er who comps closest to that character. Now, you can interpret that however you want, but I'll, I'll name a character. You guys tell me which Sixer is most like that character. All right? Let's do it. Awesome. Let's start with, and I, I this may be my favorite one. Let's start with Elsa from Frozen. <laughs> um, that that's tough for me. Well, that's tough. When I think of Elsa, I think of Frozen, and when I think of Frozen, I think of cold. And when I think of cold, I think of basketball and being cold in a basketball game. So I'm going to think of someone that can become very cold that's no longer on the team. So this might be cheating a little bit. I'm going to go with Trey Burke. <laughs> I don't know very why, nice. but the first name that popped into my head was Matisse Thibel. I think just because, I don't know, you think Frozen's, you know, like that newer generation of Disney. So I think I'm going to go with the newest generation of Sixer, and that is Matisse Thibel. Awesome. Uh, let's go with the icon, the mouse, Mickey. Who is the Mickey Mouse of the 76ers? Uh, when, I, when I think of Mickey Mouse, I think of someone that's very vocal and someone that's funny. So I'm going to go with Joel Embiid, who's someone that's a ride on social media. Uh, he's very funny, he's, and he's iconic. And Joel Embiid is the face of the Sixers, and Mickey is the face of Disney. So that's my pick. I could agree with that. I could also see, you know... Brett Brown being that Mickey Mouse of the Sixers. It sounds a little crazy. Wait, hear me out. I mean, Mickey's one of the guys. He's been around the longest. He's a vocal leader. And, I mean, if you think about it, Brett and Joel are the two guys that have survived the process, and they're still here now. So, I mean, I think Brett Brown's got a little Mickey in him. Awesome. Who is the Buzz Lightyear of the 76ers? Um, that's tough. When I, when I think of Buzz Lightyear, he's someone that has a lot of gadgets, a lot of cool stuff. So I'm going to go with Ben Simmons because he's arguably the most flashiest Sixer. He has a lot of nice cars, a lot of nice outfits. I think he's very fashionable. So I'm going to go with Ben Simmons. 
I think I'm going to go Josh Richardson. I mean, I feel like a lot of those things that you said about Ben could also be said about Josh. We saw when Josh was hurt, the drip was there. My man had a lot of nice fits when he was on the sideline. So I think Josh Richardson could have a little buzz light around him. Awesome. Let's end with Tinkerbell. Small, quick, maybe mildly annoying. Who is the Tinkerbell of the 76ers? Oh, that's tough because no one's really that small on this team. Uh, <laughs> Raul Neto, it has to be by default. That, that's who I was going to say. Yeah, I think it's Raul Neto who's, I, I I think without looking at the roster, is the smallest guy. He's quick. He can be kind of a pest. Uh, I've never been a big Tinkerbell fan. <laughs> so go Raul Neto. <laughs> Oh, man, I love it. Well, guys, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with me today, talking about Philly basketball. Um, You guys can check out uh, Harrison on Twitter. He is at Harrison underscore Grimm. Kevin is on Twitter at Kevin McSee973. Go check out their podcast called Process to Progress. It's through the Liberty Line, and they write both at the Liberty Ballers and 973 ESPN. Go check out all their work because Philly may be a team that we will be following for a while down in the bubble. Gentlemen, thank you again so much, guys. Thank you. No problem, man. Thanks for having us on. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed our interviews this week covering the Wizards, the Pacers, and then the Philadelphia 76ers. We've been having a blast recording these Under the Bubble episodes, and hopefully next week you'll get to hear a different uncontested host besides my voice throughout the entire process. Um... Hopefully you do like me and you enjoyed this. But hopefully we'll be getting Taylor and Nick and Justin on some of these as well. So be on the lookout for that. Next week we will finish up the Eastern Conference with the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors, and of course the Milwaukee Bucks. If this is your first time checking out The Uncontested, man, I appreciate you so much. If you enjoyed what you heard, please go hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from. If you're a longtime listener, hey, thank you so much to everybody mean a lot to us if you'd go drop a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us be seen more also go check out betonline.ag use that promo code blue wire to get your free welcome bonus and lastly check the description of this podcast for a link where you can go fill out a short survey for blue wire podcast be entered for a chance to win some merch or even a pair of airpods so make sure you hit that up as well we will be back with you friday with a normal episode And then Monday with our big weekly and next Wednesday, episode three of Under the Bubble. You guys stay safe, have a good few days, and we'll talk to you soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.